The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and my guest today is Doug Robinson, the executive director of NASIO, the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. Doug, uh, when I'm speaking with Alan Shark from uh, Public Technology Institute, uh, I asked him about the disruption of services as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and he, I asked him on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the worst. I think he gave it a 15. I would assume you alluded to the fact that you're on regular calls with the NASIO organization members, CIOs, CISOs, et cetera. Tell us a little bit more about that and uh, you know, what are some of the hottest issues and some of the things that they could really commiserate about? I, well, I think initially it was really about uh, the dramatic expansion of remote access, right? And those challenges around configuration, uh, challenges around communication, just the general execution of their DR, disaster recovery and business continuity plan, uh, majority of them did not have a pandemic annex. So their assumptions, I think, were all about disruptions related to uh, you know, some type of natural disaster, a man-made disaster, but not the fact that the human element would be so prominent in that and that they would have to, you know, again, scale dramatically where they might have, you know, a, a medium-sized state might have two or 3,000 VPN users, and now they're going to have to go to 15 or 20 or, or, or 40,000 larger states or even more than that. And so I think, you know, that's been a big part of the discussion is scaling remote access Another part is the stabilization of the existing legacy systems and making sure they can handle it. Some have moved off to offsite cloud services. So that was a, another piece. I think one of the most disruptive and troublesome uh, issues that occurred in most states were around unemployment insurance and increased uh, call volume to their call centers. Uh, the websites were unable to handle uh, so you don't have an in-person option. So you've got, obviously, you go to technology. The websites were unable to handle the application process. And so then they saw increased, dramatically increased call volume. Uh, states were, were experiencing uh, two to 3,000 percent increases uh, week over week. You, know, you look at, uh, you know, what their the existing workforce was handling, you know, maybe two, 300 calls a day on average. And now they were looking at 40 and 50,000. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that's something we've been talking about is, is the call centers, what they've done. Again, many of them have moved to, uh, since they were all using uh, VoIP services and went out to contract and did uh, use their, again, or leverage their, their cloud options for uh, their services and, uh, again, that's something that they had to do, deploying uh, video conferencing platforms and web conferencing platforms to a much larger audience than had previously used that. So that's a, that was another big discussion. And I think finally in the last couple of weeks, uh, the discussion has been around the what we're calling the big return, has been around what are going to be the protocols, how are we going to bring not only the IT complement back, but how do you bring back the state workforce? Mm -hmm. So that's a big discussion. How do you bring them back to facilities? We had many states that did not have enough, they didn't have enough laptops to deploy. And so they were having state employees come back to their office and go home with their desktop and their monitor. That's what I heard. 
Yeah. So now you have to disinfect and sanitize anything coming back into the workforce that has been out there kind of in the wild and at somebody's home. So I think those will be very slow and deliberate decisions. Most states now are running uh, even at the data center, some large states, 90% of their IT staff is working from home and they might have a small number uh, of folks, particularly that, that need to be at the data center. Uh, and they're coming in on rotating shifts. So they're minimizing any of their interactions and practicing social distancing. And we have a number, a large number of CIOs that uh, are not in their office. So they're in their office infrequently. They might come in from time to time. So I think a lot of it just was quite frankly, scaling uh, their existing infrastructure from a security standpoint, uh, from their uh, bandwidth standpoint, increasing that, adding, uh, firewalls uh, to handle the additional VPN traffic. All of this, I think, is overlaid with the cybersecurity discussion. So each each call, there's certainly a lot of discussions around uh, the cybersecurity concerns and maintaining their cybersecurity posture while dramatically expanding uh, remote access and and users through a kind of combination of you know obviously expanded VPN. Uh, a lot of states go into virtual desktop. Uh, deploying uh, VDI solutions for their other users. Some states have been very strict and hold the line and resolute about we are not going to allow personal devices on our networks. Uh, others have made the decision to do that with virtual desktop uh, infrastructure and VDI solutions and allow them to be used, but obviously they're not directly connecting to the state systems. They're not coming in. You meeting. know, I speaking of the uh pressure on the unemployment systems around the country. Just one story I read just today that the Employment Development Department in California got 15 million phone calls last week. 15 yeah. million. Can you imagine? And like you said, they're used to getting a couple hundred uh, a day, perhaps, and, and with this came. We'll take a short break now. Our guest today is Doug Robinson, the Executive Director at NASIO, the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. Thanks to man's best friend, researchers are making progress on an artificial nose that can smell the presence of bacterial infection. It's been shown that dogs can identify certain human maladies by smell, suggesting such afflictions somehow create detectable gases. Emily Benson, a graduate student at the University of Pennsylvania, says potentially dangerous Staphylococcus aureus bacteria likely produce such volatile chemicals as they grow in our bodies. Which then makes their way into the bloodstream and then eventually into people's tear ducts. So Benson is testing strips of paper soaked with human tears and through a chemical process coaxing out gases. She then lets them waft over an artificial nose she's engineered. The nose itself is actually a small electronic chip. Inside are 10 sensors, and in early tests, Benson says the way they react has predicted the presence of Staph aureus bacteria. With the National Academy of Engineering, Randy Atkins, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 
Jonathan Aberman here. Join me for an exciting show that examines the relationship between entrepreneurship, innovation, and policy in the Washington, D.C. region. I find the stories that explain why and how local innovation often influences the federal government, and I get stories told by people who are making it happen. I always learn something myself, and I bet you will too. Tune in Monday afternoons at 2.30 on Federal News Network or subscribe to What's Working in Washington on iTunes or Podcast One. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and my guest today is Doug Robinson, the Executive Director of NASIO, the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. Doug, before the break, we were talking about the uh, beginning to talk about the huge impact of the pandemic. And you were alluding to the fact that uh, state CIOs seem to have done a pretty good job so far. You mentioned that the uh, biggest obstacle is right now is probably the consideration of the come back to work protocol. What are some of the other issues that they're looking at that will have to be addressed with this change? I was thinking of uh, things that, that we heard the uh, former chief of staff for President Obama, Rahm Emanuel, he talked about not letting a good crisis go to waste. I would think that as a result of this uh, uh, pandemic, that there's been some very, very interesting, innovative uh, facilitation process to expedite procurements or systems upgrade, other improvements. Tell us about those. Yes, and I think those will be all uh, kind of revisited. So I think there's discussions around the, obviously, continuation of the infrastructure uh, that may have been put in place under corporate goodwill and corporate donations. And so that's one thing that there's been a discussion about is, you know, what about, uh, how do we accommodate that in the future? Uh, so not a lot of companies stepped up. Mark, we have over 160-some corporate members of NASIO, and, and many of them, really went to their their state partners and helped them out and provided uh, expansive licensings without cost, expanded uh, capabilities, gave them access to infrastructure that they needed to scale very quickly. Uh, you know, the question on the table is at some point, you know, that that kind of goodwill, they're going to they're gonna have to go back and assess that and say, well, we're going to have to now, you know, on a path forward, is that going to be part of our portfolio? And we're going to have to now license that. Uh, you look at things like just simple VPN where you have states that are in the five to 10 X scale from where they were previously, uh, are they going to retain that for a period of time? And so I think there's going to be kind of fiscal pressure and you're right. The upside of this in terms of the crisis is perhaps uh, there'll be a broader appreciation for uh, the role of technology in, in basically sustaining at least at a critical level state services and as the states go into a massive revenue shortfall and then have very, very d- tough discussions about their upcoming, most states' budget cycle starts July 1, they're looking at, you know, massive shortfalls and, and how they're going to recover. You know, I, we don't, we obviously the CIOs don't want the, the, the CIO organization and IT to be part of those massive cuts because they have to be sustained. So I think that's going to be a big part of the conversation is, well, we've already made these investments can we sustain those? And uh, we have to think about, you know, what is the the new normal with a combination of a higher uh, kind of work from home quotient than we've had before. 
And uh, I think those are some of the big discussions. But I do think that the CIOs are already talking about taking advantage of the fact that they've been able to deploy uh, the technologies that may be a little more quickly than they thought. And I think that's, uh, I think, a really good discussion to have. And I think the other is really around the human. And there's a technology piece and there's a process piece. And then I think also kind of the, uh, you know, the, the human piece. So looking at the people uh, and uh, how that's going to uh, work. And do you need to create kind of a whole new playbook on how you create these new options for flexibility and communicate the return to work? And how that's going to be done is going to be critical. I mean, there's, there, John, there's so many questions and so much. There's a lot of uncertainty. I think people do want some clarity, you know, about that. But, you know, what do you do about the buildings, not only the technology buildings, but the state office buildings? You know, how do you deal with things where you have multi-story, you have high-rise towers um, where, you know, hundreds of people every day are getting in elevators, if not thousands? Mm-hmm. just the practicality of all of that, not just from IT, but, you know, what are you, the data center data centers today are much smaller. Uh, may have this, they may have the same size staff. So you deal with that rotation. How do you limit the individuals? We had a big discussion uh, two weeks ago about uh, deep cleaning uh, and cleaning of equipment and cleaning of, of the office space and cleaning of, of uh, cubicles. A lot of States obviously years ago moved into the open floor concept what do you do with those? You can't possibly do deep cleaning every night. So a lot of, I think there's more questions on the table right now that are going to have to be addressed through protocols and through a longer term examination. Uh, So it it could be literally months before those decisions are made about how state, state workers will come back, but it certainly will not be the same. Mm -hmm. You know, I agree with you. I consider the, the two most disruptive impacts, uh, IT related at the state level has been the, the surge of unemployment. I think it's 26 million claims so far. Right. That impact on legacy state unemployment systems and all the, on the number two is all the issues surrounding uh, telework as well. The whole, the rollout of that has been so much, you know, it used to just be, uh, you know, let's test the system once, once or twice a year to see if it works. But now, uh, with the numbers we're seeing of teleworkers, it's really different. Uh, it certainly is an occasion that presents itself where government at the federal, state, and local level must really embrace a telework environment. And also the modernization of the these ancient mission-critical eligibility and case management systems at the state and local level. That's really going to be something that uh, needs to be addressed, isn't it? It is, and I think, uh, as I said earlier, it definitely exposed the fragility of those uh, systems and the fact that they're, it's a fixed environment uh, designed to handle a relatively low level. We've been fortunate, obviously, for the last several years to have uh, relatively low levels of historic levels of unemployment, actually, in some cases. And I think that's uh, obviously, that's how states scale back. Uh, there's clearly, at the states that had already moved into cloud uh, services for UI are the ones that didn't have major issues. They had some, uh, particularly with their call centers, but they were able to move pretty quickly within a matter of days. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're right. I think it exposed that. There is a misconception, particularly the part of a lot of elected officials at the states. You know, I get this question as I go around the states and, and even testify about uh, 
well, Doug, why do we why do we spend so much on information technology, and why do all these projects go bad? Well, that's a broad generalization. The states don't spend a lot on information technology. Two percent across the board of their budget generally. That's about two percent uh, of their total budget on IT. Much smaller than comparable, you know, large corporations. And most of the projects are are successful, but they they're obviously those black eyes that got a lot of attention. Uh, but there are a lot of projects, thousands of them each year that get deployed without any fanfare and, yeah. and go into production and they're, and they're useful. So I think that's going to be the discussion going forward is when somebody says, well, how could you let this, you know, UI system, you know, still be running on COBOL and still doing this? Well, again, it's the discussion of lack of investment and the, and the migration that can take several years uh, for complex, you know, business systems. Yeah. Yeah. Let me uh, comment on, on that particular aspect of it. As you know, uh, federal funds are a major part of state IT investment, Medicaid systems, child welfare, welfare support, uh, and other related state health and social service eligibility systems are for the most part primarily funded by the federal government, 80, 90% sometimes. Uh, and it's a categorical funding. I mean, it's specifically for an IT project. But I've come to learn that the unemployment systems, uh, which are federally funded, they don't have a set aside for technology. It's kind of like a block grant, and they can use it for whatever they deem is necessary. Uh, it seems to me if that's true, and I'm still trying to verify that, it seems that might be an opportunity for NASIO and, and the membership and their CEO bosses, the governors, to uh, petition the Congress to do something about that rather than the leave these uh, nightmare legacy systems with uh, MacGyver together with spit and bailing wire by COBOL annuitants. They really should move into the 21st century. Yeah, that's a, that's been a long, uh, long-term long uh, discussion and debate, John. As you know, I think the, the challenge here is that the line of business owners, uh, which are not the CIOs, these, the tech, these, the federal program dollars all go to the, to the state agencies. The CIOs may be the beneficiary of that through the, on the pass-through, most of our large majority of our states are still CIOs operating a 100% chargeback model. So their business model is to is to charge uh, the state agencies for services, and uh, they may be reimbursed by federal funds, and so they have to have a cost allocation plan that accommodates that. But the programmatic agencies they want to conserve their dollars for recipients and for program services. They want it in the program stream. Uh, and they, you know, they necessarily don't want to spend necessary dollars for the technology uplift that needs to be, needs to be made. And so you're right. It's, it's a state decision. They've got to invest more in terms of making those decisions. Medicaid's the one area where it's a 90-10 on the technology side. So the federal government's putting in 90%. So that's a little bit easier for the states to handle. But in the others, that's not the case. And so it makes it more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're really, you know, constantly balancing that and uh and i think they're it's clear that uh the states that have made decisions about moving to either the coalitions or the the collaborative models or moving to the cloud early uh ended up in in better shape a few weeks ago yeah well we only have one or two minutes left doug so i want to run something by you i'd like to get your reaction uh the cio governance model that, that we're always so passionate about you know it varies from state to state four, maybe five different models, but you have strong CIOs that have a solid relationship with their boss. I think you told me before there are a dozen or more CIOs that are members of the governor's cabinet in every election. It seems like a, a few more. 
you know, they've really had an opportunity to be, particularly those with that close relationship with the governor, to demonstrate the value that they bring to the organization. It's never before. We tried to do that during Y2K, but since there were no consequences from it, nobody really cared what we did. Right. But it seems with this one, they really have, uh, I'd call it, their, that could be their, their, uh, the greatest hour from CIOs. And Alan Sharp agrees. What do you say? No, I, I agree. We've, uh, uh, our, our first uh, reissue of our uh, pandemic, or got our COVID-19 guidance document, that first paragraph, I made that statement that, that the CIOs, now is the time for them to be, you know, at the table and to exercise uh, their leadership like never before. And I think we've seen that. The CIOs across the country, uh, a regular communication with the governor's office and with the commissioners of public health and emergency management and all the other folks that are kind of at the front line. But the CIOs definitely in this case have been at the table and at the front line and demonstrated, you know, certainly hope across the board, the tremendous Mm -hmm. contributions they're making to to respond to this uh, to this crisis there's there's no doubt there's been hiccups and there's been issues and uh but i think you know all in all i think i've been very proud of the the work that the state ceos and their organizations all those people you know have done and and you got to remember that they are also uh they're not immune to this is the human dimension of this uh, as i was reminded a few weeks ago you know, by somebody, you know, that, that working from home is a misnomer. You know, we're basically at home trying to work in the middle of a global pandemic crisis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're doing the same thing. They have families, they have relatives, they have acquaintances, they have people that have been impacted uh, and they have to, you know, show up every day and uh, lead large organizations yeah. with a lot of stress. So I, I, I think uh, that's probably we're going to see things uh, in the, in the future. So NASIA, we're here for the collaboration. We're here to be able to convene people easily to have all of these discussions, and and we're going to continue to uh, to do that. And we'll hear some some uh, some good insights next week from uh, CIOs that have been on the front lines for the last three months. And we'll look forward to that. And let me just say one thing. I think conversely, from uh, the CIOs that have stepped up, that have been at the table, been able to execute. Uh, they've really, uh, their, their governors are, are certainly impressed. And they're also in some position where if their CIO is, uh, you know, if they've only see them, see their CIO at Christmas parties or retirements that don't have that strong relationship, they're going to say, hmm, have I given a consideration to having the best, uh, most experienced, most capable person running a department that is so critical to the operation of government? So there's that side of it, too, which I think all in all comes out to reflect very well on the positions in the public sector, particularly at the state and local level. I'll give you the last word, Doug. Agree. Well, and I think, uh, agree, and, you, and you, I think, you know, you have to kind of reflect and, and realize that we have uh, CIOs that came on board in January and February and one as late as early April. We had CIOs appointed. <laughs> uh, and so they're probably shaking their head and wondering what yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah, they, the no. black swan spread its wings at their uh, inauguration. Uh, Doug, we're going to have to conclude our program. I want to thank our guest, Doug Robinson, Executive Director of NASIO. Doug, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Thank you, John, and, and enjoyed the conversation. There's a lot going on, that's for sure. Yes, there is. And thank all of you for listening. Content from the state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly, 
and other more esteemed authors as part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, SLED edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 